Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's Roller Coaster Podcast. It's a big conference in Vegas that happened this week. Uh, the big, the big thing in Lidditz, the big kind of powwow with uh, Marty Hom and, and Jake Barry and all those guys. That's going on at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's like the the phone traffic just just kind of dies mm-hmm. because everyone's off at these conventions. I, I don't usually go to those. I mean, I used to go to them all the time. It's it's really to meet new people and to, and to find new business, but. You know, I kind of know everybody, so I'm I'm kind of over it. That's good. <laughs> I kind of yeah. know everybody, so why bother? Why bother? That yeah. that wall behind you tells a little bit with all the accolades, huh? Like some, you know, it's I can funny, see Mike. some Bon Jovi and some Platinum Records and some stuff there. Very cool. Yeah, some, there's some Led Zeppelin over there, and some. I got Poison up there. I got these guys staring me down. The Coldplay fellas. Yeah, it's all good, man. You know, I've, I've, uh, it's funny. My, my wife, my wife set up this office for me when I was out of town one time. They redid, redid the house. I got back, mm-hmm. and I, I actually, I have like a, like two small storage bins, like twenty by by twenty. One of them is just full of this stuff. You know, I've just been saving it a bit. It's, it's been very delightful to be able to be recognized by all these different bands that I've worked with over the years. Definitely. But I've got like, I got mountains of this shit, and and um, it's it's just kind of it's kind of fun to go through because you pull that one up and you go like 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 in the little corner over here. You know, there's I got I got uh, it, wow. over the corner one feeding the dogs in the morning it's like okay wow. you know there's in excess that was a great tour what's the other one aerosmith journey wow Rush. yeah it's all yeah. good man it's there's all, some history there there's some history there i was reading about you and uh, i mean you told me a little bit of your story um and i was reading about you as well and wow what a what a career you've had. if you live this long you're gonna you're gonna rack up some <laughs> rack up some successes <laughs> there's, there's there's a lot of failure in there too John, um, I'm gonna basically. This is just a free flow conversation, you know. I'm gonna ask you yep. about um, your early, yep. you know, your upbringing. Where you born? How's family life? Where did you go to school? Mm-hmm. And and then eventually get to, you know, uh, when you got, you know, your career started basically as event production, um, uh, live event mm-hmm. production '79, and chairman at the California State University, and obviously everything just unveiled from 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 that point onwards yeah. for you. Um, well, I, yeah, I mean, it, it actually started before that when I, you know, as a kid, I was always selling stuff, you know, and it, and then it, it segued into throwing parties in high school. So, yeah, I'll just, I'll follow your flow and just be honest about it. Amazing. Fantastic. Let me just get the play going here and we're on. Hey, John, good to see you, my friend. Carl, my man, nice to see you again as well. I think the last time I saw you was uh, in London, was it not? It was in London. Oh, my God. And what a day. What a day. I'm not going to touch into that now, but what an evening that was. Wow. Guns yeah. N' Roses, Motley Crue, well, all in the same evening. One of those that... Well, well, and, and, and the, the, the Taipei Houston fellas, too. That was a fun gig, too. You know, the, it's, it's good to see, you know, uh, uh, that age... You know, and those kids having grown up in the business, just really good attitudes, no arrogance, hardworking, you know, uh, you know, just just really giving it 110 percent. I like those two kids. 
That's where we met, actually, wasn't it? It was, uh, was May uh, last year at uh, the very first Foo Fighters show with Josh Freeze behind the drum kit. That's correct. And, that was uh, in uh, Lake, Lake Winnipesaukee... New Hampshire, New Hamp Guilford. New Hampshire, yeah. Yeah, New yeah Hampshire, that's Guilford. right, Guilford, yeah. Yeah, yeah I met you guys, uh, we, we met in catering. That's right, <laughs> that's right. And what a catering that was, I remember clearly. I remember them, Miles and Lane, like, being absolutely stoked, like, it was so good. <laughs> well, they call, they call they call that place Roadie Camp. I don't know if you saw around the corner. There's a swimming pool and like a miniature golf. And, I didn't. See you know that. those the, those promoters, who I really I, I'm I'm not really familiar with them. They have done uh, a really great job in creating. You know, because you know it's it, it's like a 7,500 seat venue, and to get a band like the Foos and some of the artists that they get going through there, they they have to create an aura and a vibe and a And uh, like you know, it becomes legendary. Like, oh gosh, they take such good care of it. You got to go to that gig. And they're really, they're really good, good-hearted people. I met, I met the, I think it's the husband and wife team that do it. And they were just, you know, genuinely the kind of people that you, you, you want, you want to root for them to be successful. You yeah. know, so much care. Yeah. I remember they had like those PJs uh, embroidered. Yeah, I got, them. I got them. I gave them to my wife. She yeah. loved them. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that's good swag, like flannel pajamas. That was nice swag. Yeah, nice swag indeed. Nice swag indeed. And and you know you know who really kind of set the tone for that kind of uh, you know this this goes back to my early career, and I'm probably getting out of order here for you, but there was there's a promoter, very famous promoter on the West Coast named Bill Graham, West Coast East Coast. He did the he did the Fillmore East, and he did Winterland and the Fillmore in. Uh, in uh, San Francisco, and, and, and he, he did, his whole thing was he would be at the front door handing out apples, making sure that people were taken care of, you know, he was just, you know, he was very visible, he was a, he was a tough guy, he was a, he was a survivor, literally he was an Auschwitz survivor, not Auschwitz, um, the, the Holocaust, he escaped when he was a young boy, but, you know, he came to America and made, 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 made himself, and he was the first real promoter i think that actually did like a a world tour i remember he did the stones back in the 80s or late 70s where he was the promoter and he took it to all the different promoters yeah but it's because of his care his backstage was always very much like reminiscent of what we just talked about in new hampshire um and you know i was fortunate enough to have a kind of a brief passing of my career through that bill graham called bgp in san francisco who was bought by live nation But you know, I, I learned a lot from from that whole vibe. That he it comes it comes from the top down, right, Carl? Yeah. So he had that vibe, and everyone they were all tough people, and some of them are still in the business. But they're all really they, they made you feel welcome. And you know, when when you're in the circus and you go to a different town every day, it's nice to have some familiarity and to have that kind of like familiar faces. And just a little bit, he touches like the pajamas, you know, that's something that Bill Graham would have done, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I remember clearly, yeah. like, that was a, an absolute highlight. That gig was just one of those very special settings, all of it, like, the, the, obviously the performance and the emotional, the emotions behind the scenes because of the comeback right. and the clues and everything that was surrounding uh, that particular gig. Being there was just one of those historical moments that, I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I feel very... Um, Uh, blessed and, and happy to have shared that moment. Yeah, which one of, the, one of those fly, one of those fly on the wall moments where you're like, like, wow, you know, what a lucky life I have, right? To see all this, and you know, I was, I've been, I've been with the Foos organization for a really long time, so that was very emotional. 
you know, that was very emotional. It was, it was a high, high and a low, low all at once, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Some of the things we get to be like kind of standby observers of, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've been that my whole career, even when I was a kid, you know, I would see that kind of stuff with my, my father was involved. He wasn't in the entertainment business, but he was in the golf business. So I would kind of see that on the golf course with celebrities or people that I knew were really famous, but you know, uh, it, it just those fly on the wall moments, you know, like my dad playing golf with Joe Namath, like the, the, the time that he won the Super Bowl, right? He was a brash NFL quarterback and said, we're going to beat the Colts and we're going to blow them out. And everyone said they don't have a chance and they win. And, you know, my dad's playing golf with him a month later. Just, it's just weird, you know? That's, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's really cool. I mean, uh, I'm glad that you, that you brought the subject of, of your family, you know, because uh, I'd love to, to hear from you. Well, first of all, uh, well, great intro <laughs> and welcome to the roller coaster. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd roller coaster to... is a good name, Carl. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, uh, it seemed to be working fine. Yeah, people tend to, you know, give a nice compliment about the number because again, I mean, life is a bit of a roller coaster in in every level, isn't it? Professional, uh, yeah. on a personal level, we 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 are seeking and trying to obviously find that very uh, uh, precious word, uh, which is balance on everything that we do. But uh, but it's a constant battle. There's no you, you never arrive anywhere. I don't believe we ever arrive somewhere. And it's not that one day you're no. gonna achieve something that will make you happy. It's about the journey. It's about the relations that you have. It's about what you give to the world. It's about you know what you know how you connect yourself. How do you see um, things that are beyond perhaps the you know uh, perception and the and the physical realm of which we inhabit. So. Um, so yeah, yeah. My my my, my wife my, my wife had had she she kind of summed it up in words that I, you know much better than me. Because um, she, she she's led a completely different life. She's a school teacher, right? And so you know I'm I'm doing what I do, and she comes along with me whenever she can. She's retired now, but she said to me one time, she goes, you know, it's really not about stuff, it's about experiences. So between the two of us, we have four kids, and. Um, and you know we we really focus on not buying them stuff you know like it's about experiences like we we we, we try to make it like like this new year's eve i've got an experience where I, I have to go to a show and it's with it's with a band that's been i've been friends with since the 80s and so my family's going to come down and i was talking to one of the artists yesterday and you know he's like hey man looking forward to seeing you and we're going to spend new year's eve just it's just one of those random things that kind of comes into my, my life and I go, oh, well, you know what, I, I, I actually have to go to that show, but it's New Year's Eve, it's a holiday, we'll spend time with family, let's take the family down there, oh, maybe we'll, I'll go golfing, or I'll get Tommy to go golfing, or Nikki to do something, you know, and it's just like, wow, it's a, it's just what you say, it's it's not about stuff, right? Not about I got stuff. a lot of stuff, don't, don't, don't be wrong, I got a lot of stuff, too. Yeah, I, I, will de- <laughs> I will definitely ask you about that, because I'm a big music, I mean, music memorabilia collector, I collect everything, like passes, t-shirts, uh, the PJs, uh, oh, like, you know, records, I mean, I have like a huge vinyl collection, and yeah. I mean, I love that kind of stuff, so, you know, and, and, and every time that I feel like, oh, I've got too much stuff, like you said, you've got a lot of stuff in storage, I start to, I, I mean... Everyone is different, but like I personally, obviously, we all uh, want uh, good things for ourselves and for our families. Like, you know, you want to have a house, you want to have a car or a second car or whatever. The, the basics that you need to, yeah. you know, but I, I see it sometimes in people that they need uh, too much of everything. They have a house, now they need five houses. They have, a, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and they never actually find happiness outside of the 
process of acquiring things, which is good. Every, everybody feels good well, when you go shopping, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a different kind of fix, you know. I'm a recovered addict, and I would, I would fix with, you know, substances and alcohol. And then, you know, when, when, I, when I got out of that, uh, I started fixing with food, and I put on a bunch of weight and was miserable, so I fixed that, I fixed that right? And then it was like, I, what I found is with the experiences and with the family and, you know, trying to, you know, I, it's kind of like, I'm kind of like a, a ball rolling down a hill. I gather a lot of dust behind me, right? I've got friends in, I mean, when I say friends, I mean really close friends. Like my, my circle of friends are my friends from college that I, I was roommates with. And th those were the guys that went to school and did the right things and got the degrees and became engineers and lawyers and accountants. And I'm the guy that like dropped out. <laughs> and, but we're all of our kids have grown up together. We, we live in different places, but we always make a point to get together three or four times a year. Those experiences are so important. And be, but what happens with that is like, I found with myself, like I, I have way, uh, I, I have, I have a lot of stuff, but we use it. You know, we use the stuff for experiences. So we, we have a few houses and different places and, and, and we always give them to people to use or make sure people are welcome or we don't have to be there. And it's it just feels so good to be able to be in a position to be generous, you know, because, look, I've been broke, man. I've been stone cold fucking broke, uh, you know, and and you're still the same person. But, you know, not broke is better. <laughs> you, you know, you can. You, you can you can you can experience life, but you can also share. For me, it's all about really lifting people up because I've had such good fortune uh, with regards to my hard work has paid off. A lot of people work really hard and it doesn't quite pay off. Or you're an entrepreneur and you fail. Like I failed. I've been bankrupt before. You know, I've been there, seen that, done that. I think it just makes you. It's that roller coaster, Carl, like you talked about. It makes you a better person. It makes you different experiences. It doesn't, you know, when we talk about experiences, it doesn't always have to be great experiences. I am the sum total of the shit I went through and the good stuff that I learned along the way and really good family. So, you know, I'm sure I've hijacked your thing as I usually do. No, so I love I'll it. Shut up. No, I love <laughs> it. I love it. I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I, w I have like so many questions about everything really that um, is, is, so important actually to act you know to hear about how you know you've just mentioned that you've been um had trouble with substances in the past you've been broken bankrupt but but you know now you've you've got a beautiful family with kids as you mentioned you've got stuff like you've mentioned you give things you have uh long-term friendships and people that you know you can take a family with it's work but it's a holiday all of those things they don't come People don't comprehend that those things they just, they don't just happen. You kind of have to work yeah. somehow, not only work as, as, a, as, as business, as making money, things, but as, in, as a person. And, and if you could just uh, try and, and, and tell us a little bit about how was your journey, because you've mentioned very important and looking at the whole picture, we can jump straight into obviously spending New Year's Eve now in a big show with your family, with the artists and all that. But there is a long journey to be where you are right. at now. And I think that's really important. Uh, it is really important for me uh, as a person. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about all those things. But I think for people that listen to the podcast to um, 
hear about your life, your experience, the business that you've been involved, the business that you have started, the people that you've connected, your journey as a professional, but also about the things that you've just mentioned, the ups and downs, and the downs can be really, really low, can they? Yeah, I, I think I, I think you know when when you I forgot to look back and if you like measure success, I mean it's, it's what what I may see when I'm looking at someone else or someone might see when they're looking at me, right? Um, it's 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 really about building. You know, I, I I've been built, but I've been rebuilt a few times too, right? right? So I kind of started out. You know, I was I was the class clown in school. I was I I had uh, you know ADB ADH, and I was. I had a quick wit, and I was the I was the I was the kid that was always sitting in a hallway because I couldn't focus right. And then it was you know, and I I made up for my own insecurities by humor and having a lot of friends. But I I struggled in school. I didn't have like any learning disabilities. I think I just got bored really easy, like really fast, right? So I had to have a lot of incoming input. So sitting down doing math problems for me was 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 pretty easy. You know, uh, but then as 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 math progressed and I got older, you know, I like I, I remember having a I flunked algebra three times in high school, and when I was a senior in high school, and this is the salesman in me. When I was a senior in high school, I went to the, I went to Mr. Gardella at Reno High School. I said, "Look, Mr. Gardella, I am not going to graduate. I'm going to be here taking this math class again. I just don't get it." And he says, "Well, you, know, you have to get it." And I said, "Look, I'm going to be a salesman." I know how to add, multiply, subtract, divide. I can do percentages. And I go, that's all I need. And if this kind of stuff with letters and parentheses and a math problem becomes an issue for me, I'll hire someone to, that's really good at that to take care of that. You've got to give me a C, and i got to get the fuck out of here because I'm not going to get this. And he gave me a C, <laughs> and I got out. <laughs> you know. And, and guess what? I, I haven't used algebra, but I've had engineers that work with me and for me that we, we do that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I was I was raised in a family that was, you know, my, my mother and father were both, you know, remarkable, uh, greatest generation from America people. You know, they were born in the in the early 20s, like 1920, 1922. Um, they they my, my father was a lieutenant in the uh, in, in the U.S. Army Air Corps. My mom was in, my mom was was a nurse. Um, you know, I my mom was remarkable. My father was remarkable. I remember asking my my mom. Uh, you know, that generation didn't really talk about the war. You know, they just went and did it. They saw horrible things. They came back. There wasn't the kind of media like there is now, where every you know everybody knows everything about everybody. They just kind of kept their mouth shut and went about and and and, and rebuilt the world, right? And so I, I I got a call one day, and I knew my mom had been through some some pretty you know, hard stuff. But she was a very kind, sweet woman from Arkansas and Kentucky. And I said to her, how in the hell did you get into war? And she said, well, my, me and my friend Virginia, her friend Virginia, and they're both, they're, my, mom, my mother's passed away, Virginia's on her way, you know, she's 104 now. But my mom said to me, and you know, this is like, I'm an I'm a 18, 19 year old kid. And she looked at me and she said, well, Virginia and I, we, you know, we graduated nursing school and we were walking out and we saw on the bulletin board a flyer that said, we need nurses. And so we joined, we joined the U.S. Army Air Corps right there. I go, you did, what'd you do that for? And she looked at me with complete indignation and said, Johnny, our country needed our help. And that kind of was like what I was brought up with to do the, to do the right thing, to try to, 
understand and take care of people and do things. And, and where it really became apparent to me, the background of my up, upbringing with my mother and my father was I was at my mom's house and she was in her 80s and the phone rang. This was in Sacramento, California, and I answered the phone and there was a gentleman on there and he said, he said, hi, you know, I'm looking for Emily Wiseman Lewis. And I said, yeah, this is this is her home. That's my mother. And he said, um, he said, I'm a documentary filmmaker. We've been looking at the records. And uh, and I said, OK, he said, uh, you know, could we come out and interview her? Is she able to be interviewed? And I said, well, what? You, wh who are you? What's your deal? He said, well, we're making a thing for public television. My name's uh, I'm, I'm a documentarian named Ken Burns. Now, Ken Burns is like super famous guy. And I go, oh, dude, I know who the fuck you are. Yeah, what are you doing, right? So he comes out and he interviews my mom, and she get, ends up being a part of this 14-hour movie. And you know, that, that's where we learned a lot of what she went through. She landed Utah Beach, Norman, Normandy, D-Day Plus 5, as a 22-year-old nurse, right? Then yeah. she went, she walked, she went, she went into France uh, in the Battle of the Bulge with, 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 with uh, you know, the infantry, and was, you know, the, they were... Just the experience of them is, 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 and my father was, was in the PR side of the business. He took the, 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 the Liberty Bell uh, flight crew around to raise U.S. bonds. And, you know, all that kind of stuff kind of made me who I was. And my mom was very, very, uh, very friendly. My father was a sales guy. And, you know, I grew up around that. So when I was a kid, I was always looking for a way to make some money because they, they had, I had chores I had that. My dad was from Ohio. My mom was from Arkansas, Kentucky, and there was a, there was a thing on the back of my bedroom door that had a list of all the days and all the chores. And you got twenty five cents for completing this and fifteen cents for completing that. And if you did all of that by Saturday, you got X amount of dollars. You could go to the movies. If you didn't complete your chores, you got paid for the ones you did, but you didn't get to go to the movies and you didn't get paid for the other ones. And it, it, it instilled a work ethic in me. So I was always kind of looking for a way. I think probably that hedge the bet so I had other money. So I was the kid who would get in the back of the comic magazine who would see, you know, if you sell uh, Easter cards or Christmas cards, you could make a certain amount of money. So I would mail in and they'd send a cards and I would buy the cards and I'd walk around my neighborhood selling the cards at Easter and walk around the neighborhood at Christmas selling the Christmas cards and shoveling the snow because I lived in a place where there was snow. So I'd get like, you know, 50 cents for shoveling the walkway for Mrs. Jones or whoever lived down the street, you know. I was always hustling, man, always hustling. In, 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 the, in the summers, I would go back to Arkansas where my grandparents lived and fireworks, you know, firecrackers and, and sparklers and all that was, Ill, was legal back there, but it was illegal where I lived. So I'd pack my suitcase on the way home and I'd bring all these fireworks back and I'd make a little make a little list of all the fireworks and how much each one cost. I'd sell them to all the neighborhood kids and piss off all the parents. And so I was always, always hustling. And I, you know, in, in high school, I, I worked out a, I worked out a scheme to have a fake ID and to, Oh, I opened up a, uh, a, a, a line of credit. I don't know how you did this, a line of credit at the local beer distributorship. And I would, I would go over there. Uh, me and my buddy John Bedell, we had fake mustaches we would put on, and we had fake IDs. <laughs> no, seriously, we glue them on. I know the guy knew they were fake. And they were like 16, 17 years old. And I would pick up like one or two kegs, and I'd take them up in the mountains, and we'd sell tickets at school, you know, for a dollar, dollar fifty or something. And so the kegs cost thirteen dollars. We'd buy two of them for twenty six dollars, and then 
we'd sell you know, like a hundred dollars worth of tickets and we'd make each make 25 bucks a piece or something. Right. Mm. But that, that was kind of where I got into show business without even knowing I got into show business was throwing these parties in high school. Right. And making money doing it and understanding just the sliver of what a profit and loss was. Right. So $13 a cake, three cakes is $39. You know, you can do it's you, the weekend doesn't look like it's going to be that busy. We'll drag them up. You know, we'll get a band to come up. We'll get a generator. The band will play for free. We got to buy gas for the generator. You know, we had it all. I had it all like on a, on a piece of paper and you know, I would do advanced ticket sales. We'd buy these little tickets and we made a little rubber stamp that was, you know, so they couldn't knock them off. And yeah, uh, that just segued into, I went to school at the University of, uh, uh, or Cal State University, Sacramento. And my girlfriend worked at the student union and the guy at the student union, his name was Rich Schiffers. He's still alive. He's a friend of mine. We, he actually hung out at my house in Tahoe this, this this, this last summer, we, you know, we're still friends. So I was like 19 and he was this really old guy that ran the student union. He was probably 28. Right. And so, and so he said, I'll teach you how to do shows because we're going to do shows in the, the gym and in, in the, in the coffee house and in some of the conference rooms. So we, I started booking, he handed me a book and it was a big, thick book. You know, this is way pre-internet, pre-cell phone, any of that stuff right so the book would come and the book was from somebody that like like put all the agencies together so in there was william morris icm uh caa didn't exist at the time uh there was premier talent was a big one um uh you know a lot of the like there wasn't paradigm there wasn't all these other agencies now but you would open the book and they would say music acts so you look down william morris music acts and then you you then so i i just he gave me the book i started looking through it and i started just calling these agents and the first agent i called was a guy named rob kane who ended up rob what rob was at icm he ended up managing george michael and he had a really great career and i bought elvin bishop from him which was uh, who had a who had a hit at the time and we rolled out the tarp in the gym and covered the floors and i learned how to this guy taught me how to call Sacramento Theatrical Lighting and Wah Sound, a guy named Walter. And, you know, these are all local companies in Sacramento. And I, I learned how to build a budget and I learned how to, you know, I took my beer party to a party in the gym with buying an agent and it just, it just kind of kept, kept going from there. And I, I, I became so successful at it because I was buying comedy acts and putting them in the, in the conference rooms and I was buying coffee show acts, guys, you know, acoustic guitars on, a belly dancer one night and putting him in the, in, in, in the coffee house and that down the road was university of California Davis. And they had the big powerhouse entertainment program. Those guys were just knocking it out of the park. They had better venues. They had a 2200 seat place called freeborn hall. They had the coffee house, which the predecessor to me, they were booking, these guys were on their game. They were, it was Ben Slatt and Jim Worthman. They were, they were booking the police before anybody knew who they were. They had Iggy Pop over there. Now I'm talking in wow. like 300 seat place. They, they, I remember they hired, they, 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 they had some band uh, that they bought called Dire Straits. And by the time they showed up at the coffee house, a 300 seat venue, they had the number one single and the number one album. So the, those guys, I've just looked up to them and like, wow, how, what are they doing? There's a guy named Mike Ledesma over there. And around the same time, I started managing a little local band in Sacramento uh, that I had met because I had hired them to be the opening act for, I think it was The Babies with Jonathan, with Jonathan Waite was singing and uh, uh, 
or Jonathan Kane and John Wade. Jonathan Kane went and left the babies and joined Journey. So I get to know all these guys at these little small little places. And UC Davis was pretty much run by a guy named Mike Ledesma, who's still in the business, who's still really good friend of mine. I love his family. I see him. He lives in Lake Tahoe, too. We see him every now and then. And um, Mike called me one day and he said, hey, you're, you're kind of making a lot of trouble for us over here. And he said, uh, I just got offered a job to leave the school and go up to, to Lake Tahoe. Caesars is going to open a new venue and hotel, and, and I'm going to be one of the technical guys up there. If you want to come over here and take over the program, because I don't really think we have anybody in legacy to take it over. And, you know, you're kind of in a groove over there. Plus, he was friends with the band that I was managing at the time. And so, you know, just... It's kind of like people say, how did you get into it? It's, it's completely by accident, but it's like I got in the game. You have to be able to have a chance to, to win the game. You've got to be in the game. So I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I really liked putting on shows. I really liked talking to people. I really liked building things. And then it was really satisfying to sit back and see the audience show up, see people have fun, enjoy great music. Um, it, was, it, it was something that, that I, I really... I still enjoy today as much as I did then. It was it was really pretty cool. So I went over to UC Davis. Well, it was funny because UC Davis is a very high academics, and I'm not high in academics. I think I was, I think I, I don't even know if I was really attending class at Sac State to tell you the truth. And uh, I said to Mike, I said, Mike, I'll never get into I'll never get into UC Davis. He goes, don't worry about it. stay at, stay at Sac State. Well, I actually pay you to come out here and do the shows because they want to continue down the program. So I went out there for a year, and while I was out there doing that, this little band that I was managing, which, by the way, I had no idea what I was doing, not a clue. Um, I put them in a studio. We took some of the money from some of the, the club gigs we were doing. We pressed Steel up a little, Breeze? Yeah, Steel Breeze. Pressed up a little demo. I shopped it around, couldn't get anywhere, got no traction. Uh, there was a legendary producer in L.A. named Kim Fowley. Kim Fowley was the guy who put together the Runaways. Joan Jett, you know, was in that band and Sheree Curry and all that, which is really ironic because Sheree Curry ended up being my neighbor in Malibu, you know, just wow. her husband, just right down the street. Just too funny. Like it all comes back around. So uh, those guys, I, 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 we were dead in the water, and I got a call from Kim Fowley at three in the morning one night, and he said, "Hey, I just, I just got this demo tape from Madame Wong's West in L.A." And you got you got hit songs on here, and I go, I know. Who are you? And he tells me who he is, and so we 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 had been shut down by everybody. So I got the band together, and I got fans of the band together, and I, I and I, I I put together a presentation with Kim, and we raised one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. This is insane. I don't recommend this to anybody. We made an album. I hired him as the producer. We made an album. We did the artwork. Shopped it around, completely got blanked out. Nothing. This and this is a true. This is actually. I, I don't think I've told the story. The band and went back to Sacramento. I stayed in LA for a few days to try to like get something happening. And this was there was no cell phones back in the day, right? And so, completely dejected, out about a hundred and twelve thousand of the hundred and eighteen we spent. Which in 1980 is like the equivalent of a lot of money. A lot of it's my. I look back now and think, God, what an idiot! And so, uh, but we believe we believed in what we were doing. 
And so as I drive, I drove home to Sacramento and I got to my girlfriend's house and she says, hey, some guy from RCA Records has been calling here and, and wants you to not talk to anybody else. And want, here's his phone number. And I remember looking, I go, Lori, that's not even funny. You have no idea what I've been through. She goes, no, I'm, this is this is this guy. His name's John Betancourt. He's the vice president of RCA in New York. He said he heard your single because we had pressed up a single before we went and did that. And he said he doesn't want you to talk to anybody else. And I'm thinking nobody's talking to me anyway. This is a good thing. So I called him. He said, can you come to New York tomorrow? Literally, this is how this happened. Like out of a movie. I said, well, you, you know, I don't even have to check my calendar. Yeah, what do you, he goes, well, I'm going to sign your band. He said, I'm the head of promotion. This is a hit. I want you back here. I don't want you to talk to anybody else. You're going to stay at my home with my family because I don't want you going anywhere. I don't want you talking to anybody else. Wow. You know, this just completely 180, Carl. And I was like, it was, it was like from complete and total 100% dejection, rejection, how am I going to look these people in the face and tell them I lost all your money to I sold it to RCA records for $200,000. The what band, do you, what do you attribute that to? Do you think that's like some, is that, was that luck? Was it the single really, what, 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 what would you think it happened? Cause that's like, um, it's just one of those moments in life that everything could have been absolute hell for you financially wise. And like that, Things just uh, happen. You know, I, 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 go, I go back to what I said just a few minutes ago. You got to be in the game to win in the game. Okay. Even though I didn't know what the rules of the game were, I didn't know the politics, I didn't know how it all happened. So I, I, did, I, took, I took two routes. One was a completely untraditional route, and the other one was the traditional route. And the traditional route, I got every door slammed in my face, and I was told, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I don't even think the labels ever listened to the music, to tell you the truth. I wasn't connected. I was a 19, 20-year-old kid from Sacramento. Who the heck was I? You know, it, it, you know, you, this is when you could, you could send in tapes, but I didn't know that the lawyer should send in the tape. I didn't know, you know the, the, the right way to do it. But before we made that album, before we raised that money, um, I, we, had, we had taken some money and we had gone into Sun Studios in Sacramento and we had made a single. And we pressed up the single ourselves and we made nice artwork. And then I put the singles, we, we got like a two or 3,000 of them pressed up. Just a, 40, a 45. Anybody who doesn't know what a 45 is, it's just a, a single with a big hole in the middle. 70. And I drove, yeah, and I drove that to Tower Records in Sacramento, to Tower, to, to the record store in Reno, Nevada, to the, to the record store in, in, in Fresno, to the record store in Lodi. And then because I was doing the shows at the school, I knew some of those radio stations because I had bought some acts and I had sold them to Fresno State. I'd sold them to the University of San Francisco. I'd sold them to Reno, Nevada, which is where I grew up, but I was living in, in Sacramento. I knew some people. And I got the DJs to play the single at night. And they played the single at night. And we sold the singles. And we, it was, we did our single you know, completely independently. At the same time that Start Me Out from the Rolling Stones was out, which was a huge hit, we were outselling them in all those markets. Wow. So si simultaneously, unbeknownst to me, completely unbeknownst to me, this was happening over here. I was trying the traditional rec uh, route and getting completely shut down. But there was a guy named Jeffrey Nauman 
Jeffrey Nauman was a local guy for RCA Records, and he went in. He went. Jeffrey Nauman went into Tower Records, which was the, the the biggest record chain on planet Earth. He went into. He went in there, and Jeffrey Nauman said, "Hey, what's selling here?" And they said, "Well, we got this local band that's out selling everybody." Jeffrey Nauman took that single. He gave it to John Betancourt in New York. So these two parallels were going on, and I was failing over here, but I was planting these seeds over here that germinated and became the record deal that I didn't even know. So Jeffrey Nauman goes to the Tower Records in Sacramento, asks offhand question, what you know, what's selling? Well, this unsigned band. Jeffrey sends that to New York. The guy in New York calls me. We had just finished recording an album. I said, well, he goes, I want to get you guys in the studio right away. I said, we already have an album in the can. He goes, you do? I said, yeah, I brought it with me. He listens to it. He goes, great, we're going to release this. We're going to get a deal. And, and it just fucking took off. Next thing you know, we're playing. We're opening. We went from a little nightclub in Sacramento to like 90 days later, we're opening for The Who at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. And the next gig was opening for The Who because I signed, we signed with William Morris, was, was opening for the Who at the Cotton Bowl, 80,000 people in Dallas. We get the, because RCA had Hall & Oates, they had the biggest record that year. It was Maneater, I think it was H2O Maneater, whatever it was. We, we did 80 dates with those guys, right? So we got on the hottest tours, and, and then Riding High, Riding High, the band fires me, said the, the keyboard player decided he wanted to be the, he said, I'm going to be the man. Now, I got fired. I, I basically got left at a bus stop in, I think it was Detroit. Wow. I had to call my friend Russ Martinez. He had to wire me, Western Union, wire me 200 bucks to get home. I was the, and the and the night before I got fired, I had accepted the single of the year at the Bay Area Music Awards. Grace Slick had given me the given me the statue, Steel Breeze. You don't want me anymore. Best single of the year. I fly to Detroit and get fired. <laughs> it's like wow, this is this. Yeah, and but it was the, that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I I kind of circled the wagons and figured out what I wanted to do. I had made more connections. I had got to know people, and through opening through opening for the Who, another one of those things, be in the game to win the game, Carl. I met the guys at Shoko who were producing the Who tour, and they offered me a job to to help be the front face for a, a new company they had developed called Very Light, which went on to be the biggest the biggest production innovation ever. It's lights that moved, lights that used to move. Kids now today just assume that they all move and change colors and everything. That was a big, big deal. So uh, again, my, 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 my success is, 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 uh, uh, you know, just a linkage of circumstances, not even so much being in the right place at the right time, but, but always being kind of present, and 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 not afraid to fail, right? At very a very light, you you are sales and uh, sales and you develop basically sales and market the marketing plan. Yeah. Right? When it comes yeah. to the, when it comes to the marketing, for instance, which is a very specific area of the business, where did you acquired um, sufficient knowledge to get into such position into a uh, um, uh, uh, company? Uh, as as that you know okay. and and succeed what 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 because you didn't did you go to university did you get a degree 
No, I went to university for five years. I dropped out. But then out you dropped out. You've mentioned science. Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm not, I think I dropped out of high school too. I think I got a high school diploma. I'm pretty sure I did, but you know, I went, I went to, went to college for five years and I was really learning how to do shows and things at college and mm-hmm. really not very academically astute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I, I, I would kick ass in school if I liked the subject, if I didn't like the subject, it didn't interest me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get my head around it. I just, you know, just, I, I just didn't, didn't, didn't pay attention. So mm-hmm. sales and marketing are two completely different disciplines. I mean, they're, 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 the, everyone thinks they're kind of the same, you know, because when you say sales and marketing, marketing is a science unto itself. Sales is also a science unto itself, but I think sales is more gut. I think you're more born with, with, with the ability to sell. And what that is, is, to, you know, you find a need and you fill it. And then you, for me, it's always been treat people the way you'd like to be treated, right? Um, I, I just love people. I really enjoy people. You know, my wife can't believe how much I talk on the phone. I call friends just out of the blue. You know, I just, I really, I really like life, you know. I love the, the, the people that are my clients. I consider them more to be my friends. Um, but there is there is also the responsibility to do what you say you're going to do. That's really the key to success. I mean, one of the things I, that I always try to, I, you know, I pride myself on, is I do what I say I'm going to do. And if I've made an, if I've overpromised and I say, if I say something, I will be the very first guy to raise my hand and go, look, I made a mistake. I thought we could do that. That, that was wrong. Not, not bullshit, not fucking disappear. Like a lot of people do. I always just stand up and go, look, I, you know, and this even goes when I was, when I was an alcoholic and a druggie, I would always stand up and take responsibility for it. You know, I, 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 I wasn't proud of how I was behaving at that time, but I had that core principle from my mother my father, my sister, my brother, my family like not not be a piece of shit liar so that 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 i think comes from the middle of america upbringing you know mm-hmm. so the sales and marketing to go back to that question um when when so very light was already a success before i joined them but they had they they had no sales they had, they had no salesman no sales program they were a group of engineers who had who had invented an absolutely incredible product that artists, when I say artists, I mean lighting and production designers, because it was pretty much rock and roll or music in in the, in the first place. It was it was uh, a must have for them to create the art that they saw in their head. So our device gave them the ability to expand to what things that they didn't think they could do before. So so. I got brought in by a guy named Will Sharp, who was the president of Shoko at the time. And what he said to me is, he said, "Look, I think this. I think this company's very light's going to be really big. I think it's going to be way bigger than Shoko. I think it's. I think there's there's applications for architectural. You know, Will just kind of laid it out to me. His vision. Will's really smart. And uh, he said uh, he explained it to me, and um, that kind of set the tone for what it could be. So. He said, he said, they're a bunch of engineers, though. They can't speak to people. They're just, they're, they're actually pissing people off. This is, this product is something that, that, that people have to have and, and they're not handling it well. So when you have something that someone has to have, you have the opportunity to make them feel like you've done them a favor and create animosity, or you can be, bring them in as part of and support them. 
I was more of bringing them in and be part of and be supportive because I wanted, I wasn't, I didn't want that one sale. I wanted to be with them for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, and most of my clients I'm still with after 30, 40 years. I'm 65 years old. I've been doing this since I was 20. I joined very light at 25. So that's 40 years. Um, and I still deal with a lot of the, a lot of the same people. So the marketing aspect came as we grew and developed new products. I started saying to the engineers, look, there, there's things you can do to make this better. So mar- marketing usually will, should be a part of driving the R&D. Well, these guys were in a bubble, and everything they did to that point was perfect. And so they kind of developed the attitude of, hey, you know, I remember in a board meeting one time, um, the head of Verilite said to me, because I, I was saying, look, we're, we're going to have trouble with some of these other guys coming into the market, right? They're building, you know, lights with moving heads and, and mirrors, and the Italians were, were, were creating some really great-looking stuff. Austin, Texas, high-end systems, which I ended up being an owner partner with later on, they had built a, a, a light. But my engineers at, at Verilite considered it to be far inferior. And so this conversation where marketing came, came in is I said to them, I said, look, these guys are going to be, a, they're going to be a problem for us. You got to take them seriously. And I got a lecture in front of everybody else about, you don't understand. What we do is very complicated. It's a computer. It does this. It does that. It's so much better than this. It's so much better. And I looked at them and I said, well, you know, they said, they said they're not going to be able to do that. And I looked at them and I said, well, you guys did it. So what's the big fucking deal? And I said, and if it's going to be, everything you said, maybe not everybody wants. If it's good enough, and because we weren't selling the product you had to come to us for. It. If it's good enough and you can buy it and own it yourself, they're going to fucking murder us. And that pretty much was the end of my career because <laughs> I got the dirtiest looks because I just called them out. And I just said, look, you know, you, you guys, you, you guys, you're not that special. You built something cool, but other people are going to work around it. They're going to work around the patents. And so the marketing part comes into where, you know, a couple of years prior to that conversation, I said, look, we, we have to find ways to expand into other markets because it was pretty much all music. So we did music, then we started doing music videos. Well, they thought that was an expansion into another market. It really wasn't. It was just a small extension of the music business. I wanted to go get into Disneyland. I wanted to get into theme parks. I wanted to get into Broadway shows. I wanted to get into corporate events, the launch of the new Porsche, the launch of the new BMW. I wanted to get into Las Vegas showrooms, right? And so um, that's, I mean, marketing, uh, I, I would never call myself a marketing guy because it's such a precise science and there's so many metrics and ways to look at it that I don't understand. I'm more of a gut kind of guy. And my gut told me we needed to expand our market so we could make more products and we needed to sell our products. They didn't want to sell the products. They thought they had to control the control all the IP and everything else. I'm like, no, license it, you know? And it's funny because we kind of built our, our original, the original plan of a rental only at Very Light was a very smart plan they had. They put that together before I got there. But, you know, they, they refused to conform to the differences in the market. So they created a market and they created a market where people wanted to own it. And then they didn't fill that market. So they made this vacuum that was waiting there mm-hmm. for something to come and fill it. So um, I remember the like the first big, big deal that we did outside 
of like uh, a rental only was we came up with a scheme to do a lease of, of the we we it was it was a hybrid. You could own, you could you could have possession of the gear, have control of the gear, but you couldn't own it. So, but we needed the money, so I got the money in advance. Steve Wynn called my office one day. I didn't know who Steve Wynn was. No idea, right? He wanted, and he was building a show for these two guys named Siegfried and Roy at a new hotel called the Mirage. I didn't know who the, what the Mirage was because it wasn't built yet. I didn't know who the fuck Siegfried and Roy was. But he said, he said to me on the phone, I got my, my designer, Andrew Bridge, who I knew who Andrew Bridge was, a very influential, very, very powerful, creative guy he says my andrew bridge tells me i have to have these lights and, and you're telling me i can't own them that's bullshit i i want to buy them so i worked out a deal where he could have them but he never owned them and then at the end of it he would give us like one dollar but he had to pay for the maintenance and all the other stuff so i kind of got him to, to shift the hybrid a little bit and get the same kind of things with disney and so long, long i'm sorry carl long answer to the I'm sales marketing Loving it. Yeah, yeah. Long, long answer. So, so, so marketing just was kind of guerrilla marketing. I don't even know if it was real marketing. It was just kind of my thoughts and my team members' thoughts. I had great guys, Larry Carnes. You know, uh, uh, I call him Larry Carnes. Larry Sizemore, Gary Carnes, Lauren Haas. Um, we just had some really good people around. We all would kind of we, we we would kind of be the anti guys in in the in the meeting that would take in the stupid ideas that actually sometimes we were able to get some traction with. Mm-hmm. Sales to me just it's always been about gut, find a need, fill it, do a good job, tell the truth. Um, you know, try try to make your margins. You know, try to please everyone, and sometimes you please no one. Mm-hmm. So you know that that's that that's kind of what I did. Catalyst there. was way later, right? The very first uh, computer-based media server that integrated lighting and um, and video into just, yeah. uh, just the one discipline, right? That came out yeah, that so, came later. Yeah, so that the Catalyst Catalyst kind of came out of a um, that that's kind of a funny. It's probably things are kind of funny stories. There's a lot of serendipity in my life, as as with everyone's life. Mm-hmm. So so Catalyst. So so fast forward, I left very light. I went on and did some other things. Uh, I ended up getting a job offer from, uh, ironically, the guys I told very light they were going to kick their ass down in Austin, Texas, high-end systems. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people. Richard Bellevue, absolutely a stone-cold genius and, a, and just a wonderful man. Lowell Fowler, who was the founder down there. Bob Shockwell, really good guy. They, they were selling products against very light, and they reached out to me and said, hey, because my career had, had a little bit of a dip. I, that's where my drug addiction really hit the wall. I ended up I ended up kind of checking out, having to go check myself in and clean up. And I came, I came out cleaned up and hit, 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 the, hit the ball running. They noticed that I was back and my success. They reached out to me. That's so when I went down there and we, we were selling, we were selling uh, uh, studio colors, cyber lights, studio spots, um, and that was another great team of people down there. You know, you had Robert Mokri and, and Craig Burris and, you know, just a whole bunch of just Griff Palmer, just really, really good guys, smart guys. I learned probably more from them than they learned from me. I was more of a guerrilla sales guy. They had really good processes and they were very helpful to me. I mean, I, I learned way more from those guys than they learned from me. 
But I, I was I was kind of like the bazooka. I would go get get it, and then they they'd help me sort it out. They, they they did great sales as well. But you know, along those lines, along the product development, you know, the market got kind of flooded with products, and we were kind of struggling. Mike Wood down there had found a guy who had developed this crazy idea of what we were, he was calling a, a, a media server. And so Mike Woods and Nils Thorgerson, Nils, who was the founder of Flying Pig Systems and Whole Hog, which we had purchased, was part of our deal. So those guys um, came and they said, hey, we, we, we've, we've got this product from an outside guy. And high end didn't want to have anything from the outside. And I said, well, we can license it and we can own it. We can, you know. And they came back to me and they said, uh, yeah, it's this English guy. He's brilliant, but he's, 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 he's really kind of hard to deal with. And I said, oh, really? They said, yeah, we've got it right to the finish line, but we can't, we can't get him to agree to sign the deal. So we can't sell it. And we, we really needed that product. And I, it was described to me, and I knew, I knew that it was the merging of video and lighting. It was going to be a very important product, and so I said, "Well, why, why won't why won't he do the deal?" Well, he he, he got fucked by an American corporation real bad, and I go, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "Who fucked him?" Well, Very Light did. I went, "Really?" Very Light fucked the guy. I said, "What's his name?" He said, "Richard Bleasdale." I said, "Richard, I'm the only guy there that didn't fuck Richard," <laughs> and, I, and I said, "Let me call him." So I called him. He's like, oh, John, are you there? Oh, that's so great. I said, look, Richard, you know, I was the one guy that supported you. And he goes, no, you were always really cool with me. So here's serendipity again. So I get on a plane. I fly to London. He and I have dinner at Trader Vic's at the Park Lane Hilton. He signs the deal that night, and we're off and running. Because because I hadn't screwed him. And, and Catalyst just blew up. But Catalyst... You know, it's one of those like overnight successes that didn't happen overnight, Carl, because mm -hmm. most of the lighting companies didn't want it because it wasn't a lighting product. Mm -hmm. The video companies didn't want it because it wasn't a video video product. And I'm, I had to, st I remember telling one guy at a video company, I said, are you out of your fucking mind? This is the keys to the kingdom. The lighting designers are the guys that are, that are, that are uh, designing the shows out front. Mm -hmm. All your video guys are sitting in the back. They're all like super high scientist engineer guys. They, they, the lighting designer wants to be able to push a button and change everything to blue. So as LED gets and more video gets built into the show, the guy out front who's designed it, envisioned it, and sold it to the band needs control of everything. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, 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 it's not that simple. I said, yeah, it really is. I said, I'm handing you a whole new group of customers here. And so, you know, I, I got what I did is I got some lighting designers to spec it and the video companies had to buy it. And it, 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 then it just took off. And there was, so it was Catalyst, but then right after Catalyst came, there's probably 10 media servers. And now it's Disguise and Green Hippo, and those guys are kind of the leaders in the industry. But that all came from Mike Wood finding this guy, Nils finding the guy, and me having the good karma with him to put the deal together, mm -hmm. you know. And within so, those companies, like uh, being production companies, um, like why, why do you think you end up... Um, going towards the lighting aspect of the production and, and dealing more directly well, with that? Was there any moment in particular that that appeared as an opportunity and you got interested in, 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 in this particular field of uh, uh, the show business, of the production of show business? Well, 
it was to me it was really simple. The guys who were sitting with the band and were making the decisions and had the power, but also had the had the creative vision. So you know, like when the audience walks in, the show they saw was created by the guy that was standing out front, mm-hmm. and he was running the board, and he wanted to have control of that show. So to me, that was a natural to go to those guys mm-hmm. because if you wanted to have any kind of participation in the building of the show, the look of the show, the equipment that was going to be used on the show. You know, and listen, I'm an equipment rental guy, right? I mean, when you get right down to it, at PRG, which I sold my company Chaos to, you know, PRG has a billion dollars worth of lighting, rigging, video, sound, staging. But more importantly, like PRG is, 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 is a, I think where we're different than a rental company is that we, we have the creative guys like like Frederick Opsomer who runs projects, right? right? So Frederick is is one of those guys that will sit down with that production designer or lighting designer, sit down with like a Travis Shirley, or sit down with with you know w- one of these top guys on the planet who's talking to the artist, and we we can we we don't influence their show. We influence their ability to think differently. Mm-hmm. So, for example, on Coldplay, that was designed by Misty Buckley, Bill Harvey, uh, the band. Bill Leabody had a big hand in it, but it was driven from the band and from Misty Buckley's mind, right? And from Bill Leabody being the facilitator, where basically I had Frederick at the table with them, and it was it's the music of the spheres, right? So they wanted they wanted round like planet type things they wanted they had a vision of circular screens that looked like like they were just hanging in the air without the borders they were just like like an infinity pool Mm -hmm. right and so frederick could sit down with misty and phil and and those guys and with direction from the band and we created these products that did not exist so, so Frederick gave them more of a, of a wider view to those people to build those shows. So that's what, like, Production Resource Group is a group of people that have a ton of resources that know production, mm-hmm. right? And we, we, we can bring things to bear that no one else can, in our opinion. Mm-hmm. So when Formula One comes and says, we want to do the opening ceremonies in Vegas, um, we want to have these video uh, video trucks that, the bands pop out of and there's no there's no cable it's all run on infrared or microwave or bluetooth or whatever and it has to be video screens and it has to be hydraulics in it and they have to be able to drive down the, the boulevard and you know you have to get the signal to it and they've got to we, we we build those from scratch you know and that's because when when your customer sits down like an f1 or a cold play or like i've been with beyonce for 20 years and she sits down and says i want to have a, a hole in the screen and we say well we can just you know because led comes in squares we'll have a jagged edge and we'll just put a border around it and the word comes back no we want it to be infinity they don't want a border they want it to be so frederick and his projects people sit down and we can actually build those things because we have we have a, a an office in in china that makes led nobody else can do that so for us, it's about giving the tools. You to enable the to ideas to become reality. They come, 100, with, come up with... 100, 100%. So we love it 
when they when someone walks in with some just crazy ass idea like oh you have to just like, the one like, from Formula One you describe it to me now sounded absolutely crazy. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's even cooler is you know we we've we've got this thing called Big Bertha in L.A. and it's 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 a it's a it's a video uh, and it's 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 a it's a mirror ball, Carl, and it's eight feet across, so it has mm. to go in a case and it just fits in a truck mm. and it takes up so much space. So here, uh, Coldplay wants to have 14, 15, 16 foot balls that aren't mirror balls, but they're LED. So you could put. So what you would normally do is you would you would have a white sphere that you would blow up, and because you can't really LED doesn't really bend, you have to have projectors that put the image on it. It has to be mapped around the edges, or or or, or the image will be will be skewed and not be clear. And if the ball moves at all, the image goes so off complex. the ball, right? So there's a lot. So when they said they wanted 16, our first thing was, shit, that's not going to fit in a truck. So Frederick says, well, you know, I got an idea. You know, we, what if we did this? So I don't know. Remember when you were a kid and you like rolled your ankle or something, your mom would pull out that ice bag that looked like it was just deflated and just hanging. <laughs> that's and had so hard funny you saying that. Because I did that two weeks ago, and I have. You know, yeah. So, so Frederick says, you know what? I think I take something like that, and we'll 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 build LED into it, and all the electronics will be in the top and the hard part, and and when it's deflated, it will be hanging like this, and you can drop drop it into a long case, and then the motor drops it down, and, and the electronics go into a firm thing that that will that will help it go through the truck ride. And then this, then when you get to the next venue, you attach to it, you pull it up, and then you inflate it in 45 seconds, and all the LED is built into it, and you plug it in, and you play like a video screen. Wow. So we built those. Yeah. But that's just, it, that's the innovation from something that can't be done. My first thought, because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm just a layman. I'm like, well, shit, that's not going to fit in a truck. The truck. And then you got the guy who's talking to the artist who's talking to, and they, and they go all. Oh. So then my, my thing is to, and this is part of PRG as well, is we provide financial solutions. So on Coldplay, um, we pretty much fronted most of the money because we, we were running out of time. We just rolled the dice. Mm -hmm. So my, my, I, my, my, my CEO, uh, uh, my, 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 my board backed me. I go, look, if we don't start this now, we're not going to make it for load in in Costa Rica. Well, did you get the money? I go, they're still arguing over there, but I know that this is going to go. And worst case scenario, they cancel it, but we have something innovative on the shelf that no one else has as a company. Let's make this happen. And they supported me. So we, we spent all the money and built them first. Which is fucking stupid, but we, you know, we're, we're in showbiz, right? <laughs> so we did it, and it all worked out. You know, we did the same thing. You know, with Beyonce was a, a little, a little different than Coldplay because they're all, you know, each band is its own government, as you know, Carl. Might be that might be the guitar player's girlfriend running mm -hmm. in on day one. Yeah. <laughs> might be. Might be the drummer, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's its own little power structure, right? Yeah. So my job is to kind of find out where 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 that power lies and, and and who's really driving the bus and are they serious about this? Should we spend the money? Because we provide financial solutions as well as 
production solutions mm -hmm. and people solutions. So yeah. that's kind of my, my job's evolved from buying kegs with a phony ID and selling Easter cards to solving large problems like this to bring it to literally millions of people. And it is really satisfying when you're standing in a, in a, uh, a stadium in Costa Rica and you're seeing it for the first time and then 35,000 people roll in and sing every word to every song that Chris Martin's singing and you're going, this is a lot of joy. This is pretty cool to be a small part of this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm, I'm a, matter of fact, the mirror behind you looks like one of the video screens we built for Coldplay. It's, so it's, round, it's, yeah. it's, it's just round with no edges and yeah, no border. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly right. Anyway, I probably I probably way off off subject, but absolutely not. I mean, I loved it because it's um, it's such a trajectory of um, many obviously successes that you've in within the business, and always there's a, there's there's something that I can clearly see that you've always maintained very good relationships even at times when you said that for example the sales team they were like this is just not gonna happen and you, and you went forward with with your idea and things just uh you know uh fell into they, they all fell into the right place at the right time and you always had the possibility to go and talk to people that eventually might have had an issue with whoever you're trying to close a contract and you know because you're friends with this person because you are a likable character and because you're a genuine person um things just uh, they, they just worked out just absolutely fine and what i would like to um know a little bit about john is like we obviously talked about your career which is um a, a very impressive career a very successful career from from the early days that actually started from something that was headed towards um, disaster with $118,000 invested and, you know, not getting anything out of that. And then eventually your first perhaps strike of huge luck, siding with RCA. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, and... Huge, huge strike of luck. I mean, I look back on it now and it sounds like bullshit. I mean, the, the motherfucker called my girlfriend. How did Can he get her imagine? number? Exactly. I, I, I'm sure I asked him, but I, I don't know. You know? <laughs> and uh, but then during that period where you know things seem to be going really well, from everything that you just described about Steel Breeze and the signing of the contract and the tours happening, something happened and they decided that you were not part of that anymore. And I think those are things that touch us as humans in very intimate areas of like trust, loyalty huge strong values that you clearly have you you not only have on yourself but it's shown throughout your career and then those things they especially at this at such a young age you were like what 20 years old at the time something like that when that happened i think i was like 21 when i got canned at, at the absolute height of everything going right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah devastating it's um, how do how um on those moments that i'm sure at points you've had other low uh, moments uh, uh and and maybe uh, you got uh, huge disappointments from people um on occasion maybe i don't know on this particular case you did have a disappointment with people that you put your time your effort and worked really hard to actually get them to a place um how did you deal with those things? How did you deal with um, emotions personally when something 
is not uh, going really well or for whatever reason you're not feeling super confident, be that on a contract or with a friend of somebody, um, how do you tend to deal with emotions? Because obviously when we're happy, we're celebrating on a holiday, everything is good. I always tend to say that we tend... That's easy. <laughs> and we learn from when we're low, right? I mean, when we're happy, we're literally like yeah. running this high frequency wave, which is amazing. And we always want to be that, obviously. We have to try to work within ourselves to constantly uh, try and be there because that's moment for moment. Um, but when it comes to the low points of career, personal life, ex-girlfriends, addiction, how do you normally deal with that? How did you deal with that? Did you actually have any, do you ever had any spiritual uh, routines? Are you a spiritual person at all? If you could just tell me a little bit about um, this particular um, point uh, yeah. that I've just uh, penciled here. You know, that's a, that's a really, that's a really great question, Carl. And I, I'm, I'm really glad you asked it because there's different phases of my life as you learn as a human being, um, you know, because we're imperfect, right? Um, when, when I've had a big success, I, 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 I always try to enjoy it and share it with other people, but it also puts fear in me, like, how the hell am I going to, where am I going to stop this? So my different phases of my life, I dealt with things badly and very well, right? So when, when, when I got fired from Steel Breeze, it was humiliating, it's absolute humiliation, especially, you know, I'm in a small town in Sacramento. We were the first band to really come out of there and have a, a top 10 single. You know, we're on American Bandstand. We're on Solid Gold twice. We do, um, you know, the Merv Griffin show. We do Johnny Carson, all that stuff, right? And it's just, you know, to, to basically be thrown off the fucking boat by the five guys that you really have literally given everything to was devastating to me. It was absolutely devastating. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I've maintained friendships. You know, the, the, the drummer was, was kind of a hired gun. And so the other, the other four guys, there was Vinny, the bass player, who I'm still really good friends with. There's Waylon, the guitar player. There was Ken. Uh, and there was Rod, who was the keyboard player. And, 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 you know, I look back now and Rod's the only guy that I don't have a relationship with. He's probably the only human being on planet Earth that I've been absolutely, completely spiritually disappointed in as a human being. He, he was just a, a very calculating, um, devious little cunt. Uh, still is. And so, um, you know, and I don't say that lightly. But so, you know, uh, the, the other guys, I mean, I've asked them. I said, God, I got called in the hotel room and I got fired. You know, what, what, what the fuck? And they're like, because uh, I made, Rod was going to fire me. And I made, I said, no, I, every guy's signed to me. I want them all in there, you know. And we all, we lived together. I drove the fucking, the, I booked the shows. I drove the motor home. You know, I, I, I did the payroll. I did everything, right? And then we got a little bigger and it got a little bigger. And Rod wanted to manage the band again. And that's, his whole motive was, thanks, I got this now. Fuck you, basically. So I, I, I called the other guys out on, they all just looked down at the ground. I could tell that none of them wanted to have this decision, but they were all probably more scared than I was because is, is this, is this roller coaster ride going to continue for them? Is this the right decision getting rid of me? You know, is, is the world gonna, you know, and by the way, I was so close with the record label and I was so close with the, with the lawyer. I remember the lawyer who still, by the way, here's a loyalty thing, still my lawyer today. Still wow. my lawyer today. 
Amazing. One of the biggest guys in the music business. Uh, I remember Rod walking over. I, I was in my hotel room, and he, and he called him after they fired me, and he said, "Well, you know, we just uh, we just let John go. We're going to go a different direction." Blah blah blah. You know, and he goes, "Oh, oh, oh, really?" Now I, I'm thinking that I'm getting canned and I'm out the door, and and he goes, "Oh, hold on." He goes, "He wants to talk to you." I go, "Hey, John, what's up, man?" He goes, "Yeah, I just told him I'm not their lawyer. I'm your lawyer." This is a big mistake. Don't ever call me again. And I, I, at that, that moment, at the bottom of my absolute life, there was a guy that stood up for me. And one of the biggest guys in the music business, chairman of the board of Loeb and Loeb, and 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 he stuck he stuck up for me. It it meant so much to me. I can't even tell you. And it also taught me a lesson that my my instincts were correct. There's good people out there, right? So. I dealt with that at badly. Um, it, whatever whatever partying I was doing with drugs and alcohol escalated uh, badly, and I ended up doing basically, you know, uh, uh, I, I went and I, I grabbed a couple, another couple other bands. I tried my best, and I I, I just could, it was it was it was fire in a bottle. You know what happened with those guys was just so electric, and the world coming together. Uh, I tried to I tried to capture that lightning in the bottle again, and I I couldn't capture it, and I, I I drained all my resources, and I basically you know was at a point where I was just stone cold broke, and um, that's when Will Sharp called me and said, hey, we got this company called Very Light, so it all happens for a reason, mm -hmm. you know, and then I went to Very Light, and I I was probably um, again, still, still drinking and, 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 and substance abuse at that point, which was pretty normal in the eighties to tell you the truth. But, you know, some people it gets and takes down and some people, it doesn't, some people can leave it. Some people can't, some people have an addictive gene. I have to have the addictive gene. And so I, I think going from, from that high, high with steel breeze on the charts, number one, MTV rotation, you know, on tour with the biggest bands in the world, to being fired, to struggling, to being with the premier lighting company, production company in the world again. Now I'm now I'm not the opening act with a band that's trying to make a record. Now I'm hanging out with Clapton and the Stones and the Who, and I'm on that that team again. And Very Light was was partnered with Genesis, who was the biggest band in the world in 1986. So we're and now I'm on that world tour with those guys. I think I was actually afraid that I that I didn't deserve to be where I was. I, I, I well, I don't think I know now that I, I I did not feel worthy as much as out, outwardly confident I was, and how I was portraying. Yeah, I got this. You know, I was fucking scared to death, Carl. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just a guy from Reno. Nevada who went to school in Sacramento and now I'm like sitting in a room with Genesis. How did this happen? You know, mm -hmm. I'm not worthy. I'm less than I had all those feelings. Right. And so I self-sabotaged myself and part of my leaving very light. I think a big part of it was I just got out of hand. The drugs just got, got too, I just became too unmanageable, even though I was wildly successful. I think I got that company to a point where they were on a roll and they didn't need me anymore. They needed me, then they didn't need me. But you know what? I I created my own my own demise, hundred percent self sabotage. So you know, I left there, and then again, here I am again. 
I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm back where I was when Steel Breeze fired me. I'm back, but I had a little more means at that time. I had some money and I could float a little bit, but I, you know, emotionally I was just fucking destroyed. And so I dove right into, you know, I, I took my alcohol and drug addiction to a whole new level. You know, I, 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 I divorced my first wife, my high school sweetheart, great gal, you know, hundred percent my fault. Great woman. We're still friends. Um, and then I moved to Malibu. So I got divorced. I left Dallas. I moved to Malibu. Uh, every every stupid cliche in the business I participated in, you know, I'm, 30, I'm 32, 33 years old, ton of money in the bank, living in, you know, the hills of Malibu, throwing parties. Every, it's just fucking stupid, right? So I hit that wall again. But that time, when I hit that wall that time, I, I, I did a dead cat bounce. I bottomed the fuck out. Uh, I, 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 I basically was out of money, was unemployable, was a drug addict, was uh, someone that you couldn't rely on. Uh, I hadn't worked in three years. Uh, you know, it was, ba I think, honestly, I look back now, I was, I was slowly trying to commit suicide, but thank God I, I, I didn't, you know, really commit suicide. It was kind of chicken shit about going about it, but, you know, I just tore myself up. And Carl, I looked in the mirror one day, June 15th, 1995, and I, and I hated the person I was looking at, me. And I said out loud to myself in the mirror, Wiseman, you used to be a pretty good guy. What in the fuck happened to you? I said it out loud. And I went to the, I went to the uh, Yellow Pages, and I started looking through, and I was broke. You know, I, I'd spent all my, I'd spent millions of dollars and I went to the yellow pages and I looked up and I found a. you know, you're, you're, you're still, you know, you still have an ego. So I wanted to find a nice rehab place to go to. I thought I should, I deserve to go to a nice place. Right. I remember calling the guy and, you know, interviewing him on the phone to see if this place was nice enough for me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to need a phone in my room too, you know, cause I got stuff going on. Right. I was like, Oh yeah, sure. You know, Mr. Big shot, come on out. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so good. So it just gives me the creeps now, you know, that ego. Right. And so I, I the guy said, you know, how, you know, what's your story? And I told him my story and he said, you know, wow, you better, you better come right now. And I said, Are you there, Carl? Did I freeze? Did you freeze? Yeah, there was a freeze. You said, you better come right now. That's when you froze. I, I told the guy I couldn't come right now. I had to, I, I had to figure out, you know, how I was going to afford to do this. So I, I called my sister and talked to her and she talked to my, my family. How, how, how embarrassing, you know, I had to go to my mom who I told you about, right? I have to borrow, she's in retirement. I have to borrow money to go to drug rehab after I was a multimillionaire like three years before. I mean, just absolute, really strip you to your core of like, you're, you're you know, you, I knew and, and right the then money I all, fucking and, and the money all went on this period of three years on partying and houses and renting and cars. 100%. And all, all of that. Cars, cars, girls. And that's the 80s, cocaine. obviously. So the high yeah. of. See, yeah. it, well, it was the end of the 80s. It was the 90s, but I, I, hadn't, I hadn't given up yet, right? So it was, it was, it was the, the end of the 80s. I, 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 I took it a little too far, right? Mm -hmm. It just, you know, it's, a, it's addiction, right? And so 
um, yeah, so you know, uh, your mom then ended would, up have, helping you. Yeah, it was fu it was funny too. I'll tell you how smart my mom was. I finally talked to her after my sister doctor. I said, okay, I, it's it's I'm going to go for 28 days. It's it's twenty eight thousand dollars. I need sixteen thousand dollars today. And I said, so, you know, Susan, my sister, said, you, you take care of it. And I said, you know, this is, you know, the ego again. I said, so you need to send me the money. And my mom goes, I'm not sending you any money. I go, what do you mean? She goes, I'm like, what are you, I'm going to give money to a drug addict? No. Well, I'll send the money to the rehab place. And I, I was insulted. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> she was that's right. <laughs> she was 100% right. You know, I mean, what, what an asinine. But that's. You know, I was still, you know, out of my mind, right? But I was, I was, I was very hurt. I was very insulted, <laughs> my, right? Um, and so, yeah, so I, I checked in uh, and never looked back. You know, I, I just checked in. I because I wanted to fix myself. I, I was disgusted by what I had become. I had become a liar. I had become a cheat. I had become, you know, just a piece of shit. And that wasn't who I was. That was not who I was. And I wanted to get back to who I was. I wanted to get back to those core values I was raised with. So I, I checked into a place called Steps up in Port Wyneme, which is where Aerosmith went as well. Um, you know, and I used to see those guys up there at the, uh, at, at the alumni meetings every now and then. And uh, the guy that ran it, a guy named Steve Chadoff, a lovely, lovely man, um, you know, he saved, they saved my life, you know. But I went in there, Carl. I was, I was you know, They say in, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it is, they say you have to hit your bottom. And I have hit my bottom, Carl. Thank God. Because I never relapsed. I've never thought about doing it again. But what I got in there was the tools to be. And, I, and I, I'm a, I, I don't really sing the praises because I don't want to be one of those you know Bible-smashing guys. I found a way. You have to do this, right? But when I'm asked about it, I say that the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, the only step that mentions alcohol is the first step, step one. And it says, admit you become powerless over alcohol and your life would become unmanageable. That's what step one is. And it's like, that's a fucking really easy thing. I just borrowed $28,000 from my retired parents to check into a rehab mental hospital. That sounds pretty unmanageable to me, right? Mm -hmm. So step one was fucking easy, right? Step two through 12 just teaches you how to live as a good human being. Step two through 12, everybody on planet Earth should follow those steps because it talks about making amends, cleaning up the, 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 the wreckage of your past, being a good person, uh, you know, letting, getting back to the spiritual question. Yeah, I was raised a Catholic, so, you know, religion... Uh, Spirituality to me was was a mean, punishing thing. It was mean and punishing. What I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, my God's a forgiving, loving God. It's a God of my choice. And, you know, I God to me became, or my spirituality became, you know, I operate at pr pretty fast speed, is that, you know, what I learned in rehab is to slow down, to pause when agitated, to take a deep breath, because... If I never stop, then I'm in charge, and me in charge is not a good thing. So what I have to do is I have to put pauses between what I think and what I do. And that pause for me is God, because God comes in because I'm not in action yet with my self-will run riot. I pause, and, so, and I always make a little bit... Uh, different decision or a better decision or a decision is made for me 
and I'll and I'll, and I'll give you an idea of how I came to understand that uh, with my with my therapist. I said to him, you know, he he said I said, oh God, here we go with the fucking God bullshit, right? You know, turn my life over to will of God, and you know, and I'm going to be one of those. I go, I'm a fucking salesman, man. I can't just sit back and hope that everything happens. I have to take action, right? He said, well, you can still do that. He said, but you know. Here's let me. This is where he illustrated it for me. And this guy, I was really calm. Ironically, he was a former Jesuit priest, so he was a Catholic, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he um, to me, God was a guy sitting in a throne, a big beard on a cloud, throwing lightning bolts at you, right? Mm-hmm. And so he said to me, he said, l- l- he said, you ever have road rage on L.A. freeway? I go, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He goes, okay, so let's let's talk about that. Let's let's use step two and step three about understanding that the only thing that's going to restore you to sanity is a power greater than yourself. That's that he says, that's the chair right now is more powerful than you. The chair has more choice than you. And he said, step three is, um, turn your will and your, turn your will and your life over to God as you understand them. And I said, okay, that's where I went. Oh God, here we go with this shit. Right. And he goes, Tell me about a road rage incident on, on, on an L.A. freeway with you. And I said, well, you know, a guy fucking cuts you off, and then, you know, you know, you flip him off, and then he flips you off. And I said, you know, I fucking bumped the guy's car. You know, I'm driving a $180,000 car, and I fucking hit him, right? <laughs> wow. And, and, oh, yeah, I've done that before. On the 405 one time, I was just in a rage. And I pulled around, I slammed on the brakes, and I, the guy stopped, and I got out of the car, and I, I fucking pulled him out of his window and beat the shit out of him, right? On the fucking 405. I mean... Wow, what kind of asshole does that? And so he took that instance and he said to me, how about this, John? How about the guy pulls in front of you and maybe he didn't see you. Maybe you're not the most important person in the world where everyone's thinking about you and you, you know, instead of flipping him off and starting a fight, how about you just wave him off and just take the high road and go, wow, maybe he didn't. So if you were if you were the passenger in your car, would you turn to the driver and go, wow, you better ram him. You better sweep around, slam on your brakes and beat him up on the freeway. Would you ever give that advice to anybody? I said, no. And he said, so here's another thought. While you're you know, exacting the justice that you believe because you've been wronged by someone pulling in front of you, which is just asinine, right? He said, you hit the van next to you that's got a, 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 a family in it that's saved up for two years to go to, they're on their way to Disneyland, and you fucking kill them all. That's, uh... He said, so your God, your spiritual guidance needs to be a gap, a space between what you think and what you do. Let, let God come in the middle there and you know help you with your decision and man i'm telling you what carl it changed my life it ch- i finally felt like an adult for once at that at that point at 35 years old i thought oh my god you know i don't have to be in control and and it, and it, it helps in business you know if i try to force a deal it never comes out right I, if i sit back and be a little patient you know, I'm I'm paranoid because a good salesman's paranoid because I'm fighting for my team and I want everyone to thrive that's with me mm-hmm. and I'm I'm the tip of the spear. So if I get if I get that contract, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, ensure employment for hundreds of people. 
And that's very important to me. So that's where a lot of my drive comes from. Um, it's not so much the winning. I've, I've won enough where I don't need to win anymore. I, 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 I want to collaborate and create opportunities for people. That's where I am. So the spiritual thing is, it ain't, it, it ain't me, man. It's not me. And, and so that saved my, that saved my life. John, that's um, that's really amazing, and I'm so flattered and happy that you that you get to sh that you're sharing all of this um, on the podcast today. Well, thank because, you. Because it's so important for people to have access to real stories like yours, which we don't tend to actually hear or talk about because we tend to talk about the highs, the peaks, the clients that you have, the people that you yeah. have been with the upcoming yeah. holiday, the yeah. platinum records on your wall and all of that. But there is a journey. There is a journey. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and that journey for every individual will always have its ups and downs. But you kind of have to have something within you that will, at that low point of your life, when you decided to look to yourself in the mirror and make that decision, so many things could have gone wrong during the, that period of three years. I like bet you could have died of overdose. You could have crashed a car and killed yourself. You could yeah. have committed whatever, you know, that could have happened yeah. so badly. But something um, outside of the realm of um, physicality, you can call it God, you can call it spiritual, you can call it faith, whatever. Something within your aura, within the individual that you are, uh, helped you navigate that moment and helped you have the people like your mother like your family that helped you get into that yeah. this, this, you know and, and 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 get out of it and get to a place where you even having had girlfriends and an ex-wife which as you mentioned it was a great person end up having the beautiful family that you have now with kids and a wife and 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 uh, if things All the good things you chew with grand, I have two grand. I have two grandkids. Do you? Right. They're fabulous. Yeah, my daughter oh, has awesome, four-year-old, uh, four-year-old Hayden, almost four, and Tegan. You know, and uh, that's just a delight. You know, I mean, are you shitting me? I get to live this life. Are you fucking kidding me? I get to pay my power bill. You know, dude, my 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 electricity got turned off more than once. You know, I remember living in this just magnificent place in Malibu and I, I, I forgot to pay the power bill. It was cold as shit. I went to the next door neighbor and I said, hey, I need to, I need to plug into your garage. I forgot to pay my, they just laughed, right? Because I, I was friends with everybody, right? And I, you know, but the, I, you know, you're, you're high as a kite and you forget to pay the fucking power bill. Are you shitting me? You know, so, I mean, dude, it's, 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 I, I, I think I think the the I think anybody anybody can roll with the highs, and I think if you have too many highs, Carl, you start believing your own bullshit. I, I think the lows are put there for balance and perspective, and you know I can now pause when I'm agitated. I can look back to that day in the mirror, which was uh, you know over 28 years ago, and I can remember that feeling of desperation. And, and sadness um, and, and embarrassment, you know, all of those things. But, you know, that, that I, I don't recommend anybody get to that point, but, you know, it's just part of the fabric of how I got to where I am talking to you today, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm proud that we're talking today, Carl. 
you know, you were the opening acts tour manager, and we started bullshitting, and I could say, that was a nice, nice people, you know? I didn't know that that was fucking what's-his-name's kids. Mm -hmm. I just, they were nice people. I was just talking to them, and you guys were good kids, and I said, hey, I'll come see you in Europe. Now, yeah. how, many, how many people said, I'll come see you in Europe, and you never fucking see them? Yeah, true. Absolutely true. But I also believe, John, that um, I, like yourself, I'm, I'm very uh, glad to the fact that... Um, I make good friends in life. I have great friends in life, which are basically our like chosen family. Some people say you choose your friends, you become you really become family, you know. And for me, it's extremely important on everything that I do in my life, especially on a professional level, to be involved with people that we share the same values, that we are doing for the right reasons, not for any bullshit. That uh, yeah. that we like each other because we spend so much time with each other. So if we don't like each other, if we don't share uh, um, common uh, interests, and that doesn't mean like and, and values and, and values. values and values absolutely and and understanding each other's differences and actually learning from each other's differences because that's so cool as well. You have many values yeah. that you share and visions that you share, but we're different different individuals, back different backgrounds. You're from this country and from that country. You know, yeah. I'm this age or that age. You like yeah. uh, pina coladas, and I prefer, you know, to drink matcha <laughs> green tea. You know what I mean? So yeah. how yeah. how can you balance those things? You know, and and and, and I think it's really really uh, enriching in life to be able to to do that. You know, and yeah, and you know, I I have a, I have a really good friend that I admire and I love, a guy named Rick Canny. And I don't know if you know Rick or not. He'd be a guy that you should actually interview, Rick. Rick uh, started off in production and kind of made his way into management, and he's just a really lovely man. Um, Rick handles day-to-day -day for uh, Tommy Lee, Motley Crue. And so, you know, he and I share back and forth the little Instagram thing sometimes, and I saw this one that I sent to him, and it was about planet Earth. And it, and it, and it talked about how there's like a trillion like four trillion universes and a bazillion stars. And here we are. It just, it showed the insignificance, but it also showed the magic. Why, why are we all here? Why are you and I talking right now? You know, you were born there. I was born here. You know, we, 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 we met, we enjoyed each other's company. Here we are talking again. You and I will do business together. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, but you know what? You're going to, you're going to get to a point where you're going to go, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to call John. He can help me out with this. Right. So all that's just really very cool. And I'm glad we're here. Very cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, when we end up seeing each other in London, you were so busy. And I was so happy to actually sit down with you that day to kind of like outside of work because I met you. I was yeah. constantly you were working as well, but I was yeah. kind of I had people that I kind of had to give my attention fully to it. You know, oh, so, yeah. it's, so it's different, you know, to be able to actually that day in London sit down and just you know, okay, great. Now we can just chat for a little while, just the two of us with no, yeah. you know. And, and, and where did I see? You? I saw you before that too. I saw you in was, Amsterdam. Yeah, it was Amsterdam, and then and then it was London. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the guys had a gig in Amsterdam, and I saw you. I think I got you a wristband for Motley, didn't I? You did absolutely. That's yes. right. Yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, that that was that was an incredible night. I mean, come on. Wasn't I mean, that fun? <sighs>
Guns and Roses. Molly, 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 Molly Crew, Molly Crew in a thirty-five hundred, three, excuse me, three hundred fifty-seat nightclub under the name they the Underworld. The Underworld. Yeah, the the Underworld, but they went under a different name. Oh Dogs yes, of uh, War. Dogs of War. Dogs yeah. of War, and then and then over to fucking Wembley Hyde Stadium. Park, hundred thousand. No, it's Hyde Park, a hundred thousand people. Oh no, Guns no, Roses, that's oh Guns and Roses. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because Motley played the following night. At Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I, I flew home the next day. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, that and that's who I'm going to see. New, that's who I'm going to see New Year's Eve. You know. And I, I've been with those boys since '84. Wow. I mean, we we've all been through high highs and low lows together. You know. I mean, I I I knew the guys really well from touring back in. You know, very light. Introduced me to those guys, right? And I remember we'd go to we always go to Scottsdale or Phoenix or something to. It was Scottsdale to uh, Danny Zaleski was down there and he was the promoter and he always started the tour down there. And it was always just a big fucking raging party and fun and the show always happened. It was always good. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the Motley crew broke up. Vince and Tommy left the band. Ball. And then the whole thing happens is like I, I go to an AA meeting. Here's AA again. I go to an AA meeting in Agora Hills, California at the bank there on the corner at eight in the morning or seven in the morning. And now it's seven in the morning meeting, and there's like 25 people sitting in a circle. And I look over, and there's Nikki Six, right? And and it's 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 AA. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and we'd always gotten along really well. And uh, but you know, you you just split up, you go different ways. And uh, we're walking out of the meeting, and uh, he taps me on the shoulder. He's like, "Wiseman, aren't you going to say hi?" And I go, "Ah, you know, it's AA. I don't want to you know out you, blah blah blah." And we start chitting chit-chatting and you know we instantly reconnect and you know we're talking he had a band called brides of destruction this is how things happen he has a band called brides of destruction they're going to go to japan and he says hey can you help us out with some production over there and i go yeah i got some friends over there we'll help you out so and i say to him i go why the fuck are you doing this why aren't you doing why aren't you put motley back together you know why isn't you know and he goes yeah we've been getting a lot of offers from getting offers from uh promoters over in Europe to do the festivals and, you know, and, 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 you know, he said something along the lines of, you know, fucking Tommy won't call me back. You know, it, it's Tommy's off doing his solo thing. And he said, it's just, you know, and we don't know how Mick is, you know, I, I haven't heard from Mick and I don't know what his health is. And, you know, and I said, I said, what do you mean, Tommy, you're not connect with Tommy? He goes, no, nah, it's just not connecting. Right. I go, well, I'm having lunch at his house tomorrow. So at, have your phone around noon. And I'll fucking, I'll put you together. So I, I, I was at Tommy's house and I was showing him things for his solo tour. It's, oh, fuck yeah, man. I love that. Fucking yeah, I love that. Fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, yeah. And I said, but Tommy, you can't, you can't afford this for your, your, your solo tour, right? Just the, the economics don't work for this, right? I go, but you know, Motley Crue could afford this. He goes, oh, Wiseman, not you too, right? Everyone's calling me to put the band back together and stuff. I go, come on, Tommy. I said, you guys, it's, it's a fucking gang. It's not a band. I said, you know. So I called Nikki, got Nikki on the phone, handed Tommy the phone. They start talking, and then, you know, then it takes on a life of its own. And the next thing you know, we're all sitting in a boardroom at 10th Street, and, you know, uh, uh, Vince is there, and Tommy's there, and Nikki's there, and the Live Nation people are there, and Alan Kovac is there, and they're, they're trying to find a way to, you know, get Mick healthy again, and they end up going and doing... Uh, I, circus. Uh, the, we did us like a circus tent. I forget what it was. Um, they did a tour. It was wildly successful. And then you know we've all just been hanging out ever since. You know, 
It's fantastic. Great. It's great. I and those mean, and those guys are fucking loyal. You know what? They're loyal. They, they 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 no matter who's doing what, they always give me the first shot of everything. All things have all things being equal, I I, I get to do the job. You know, you got to be fair. You got to. They're very smart financially. You know, Nick Nicky Six uh, approves everything. Tommy approves everything. Alan Kovac approves everything. Robert Long, who runs their production and their design stuff, is just a fucking badass. And you know, they they make me work for it, but I get the fair shot. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to 1984, man. That's that's it's pretty that, cool. It's it's really cool. It's really cool. I mean, I love that. I mean, I I honestly, it's. It's amazing when you get to work and meet people and get uh, closer to people that you admire so much. And eventually these people develop the same sort of appreciation for you, for what you do. You get to contribute to their success and you end up having a personal relationship with these people. And this is, honestly, I cannot think of something more rewarding than that in life. Great, great connections it's that you fanta- make. It's fantastic. That, that you both, uh, it, it, and it could be in any way. Sometimes, you know, a friend, somebody, it's not necessarily somebody that is actually giving you a contract or anything. There's ways that people can enrich ourselves, you know, with a hug, with, a, with an ear, with being able to hear or share good thoughts about anything. And you can become a fan of all kinds of different people. It doesn't necessarily need to be an artist. It doesn't necessarily need to be a CEO. No, but but when I, you get, I, I, I'm I, I'm fans of all of my friends. Like exactly. my my yeah. roommate from college, Cliff, is my best friend. I was talking to him last night. You know, I ta- I texted back and forth with Nikki Six. You know, when they when they weren't doing stuff, I was helping Tommy with his solo stuff. And then Nikki launches his books, and we do some we put together some artwork and some projection for his press conferences and stuff. That's fun. Mm-hmm. That's really you're 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 getting to do this cool shit. But then you know what? I go to Hawaii with my friend Cliff and his family. That's just as cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Right, it's, it really is, man. Honestly, I mean, I want to be mindful of your time. You've been extremely. Um, Wow. I mean, open about so many things I could, I mean, I genuinely did not expect the conversation was going to be this great, not because you're not an amazing guy, not because you're not an incredible person, but because, you know, I mean, you've managed to touch in so many subjects and so many different areas and parts of your life today that is extremely for me personally to hear your story again because you did tell me uh, a little bit about it back in london at that hotel that evening um but i think for people again to be able to hear such story your career and the ups and downs it's really it's real do you know what i mean john it's people need to need people need to get encouraged um by successes like yours but understanding that it's not smooth say all the time well, you know, it's if if like I give kids advice now because you know I, I speak I speak I I, I work a lot in in uh, yeah, I mean not a whole lot but you know I, I get I get asked about to talk to kids about careers or I'll get asked to talk to kids about you know addiction or, or I'll be brought into uh, a, a situation where a guy's having trouble and uh, you know my my advice is just look it's it, like you said earlier Carl and and the name of your podcast roller coaster roller coaster is a journey you start and then you you start in the roller coaster and you end in the roller coaster right we're just in the middle of the ride right now and there's ups and there's downs and it's you know 
you have to find something that you love, give a hundred percent to it, and just you know believe that if you work hard, things are going to happen. Things will happen for you that you have no idea they're going to happen. You don't get to pick the you don't get to pick the journey. The journey is it's 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 there and it's going to happen. You can direct a little bit towards the direction. Like I want to be in the music business. I love music. I can't play any music. My mom was a great pianist. My brother was a great guitar player. You know, all that kind of stuff. But I have zero. But I love music. And so I thought it'd be cool to make money in the music business. Now, what did that mean? I don't fucking know. Maybe I'll manage a band. Well, what's that mean? I have no idea. But you know what? I guess I know how to find out. <laughs> I'll just try it. Right? And it just, it just happens. Right? So just believe in yourself. And you know what? When you, when you get kicked in the teeth, it, it's not over, man. It's not over. Hundred percent. I love you, Carl. Love you thanks, too, John. Thanks for, thanks, thanks for asking me. Uh, you know, Honestly, this has been really fun. I hope so. I hope somebody gets something out of it. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your story again, for talking to me today, John. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I'm sure we're going to do a part two at some point because I want to talk about you know crazy stuff, <laughs> the eighties. Let's just <laughs> talk about the crazy shit. stuff in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's I, I got some fucking stories. Let me tell I you. I bet you do. Um, well, when I say them, I go, "Wow, yeah, that really did happen." Um, <laughs> buddy, have a great one. Thanks for inviting Thank me. You. I'm honored that anybody would give a shit what I have to say. Thank you. I really and do, I hope, and I think I a lot of people will as well. Well, I hope we cross paths soon, and have a wonderful, have a wonderful Christmas. Amazing. So do you, John. Bless you and your family. To- great Christmas and a happy new year. I'll speak to you soon. Adios. Adios. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation, this podcast, as much as I did doing it. So if that's the case, please do follow on Instagram at RollerCoasterCarl, myself at Carl Casagrande, on Twitter, same thing, Facebook, same thing. Uh, Do subscribe. Do subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify. That's very, very much appreciated. Thank you and have a great, great day. Cheers. Bye-bye.